Thrilled about that. And last week, uh, Brian talked to us about this concept of biblical solidarity, which is a bit of a culture clash with how we're used to doing life because it, it runs crossways with, with, uh, with our culture because our culture is very independent, uh, individualistic. We value that. Um, and it is the, is the perfect culture for the self-sins to thrive because uh, the more individualistic we get, the more selfish we get. And, uh, and, and the scripture has this concept of biblical solidarity. And last week, Brian talked to us about these two tribes, those who are in Adam and those who are in Jesus. And he talked to us about the fact that God, when he created earth, when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave Adam and Eve all kinds of yeses. Yes, you can do that. Yes, you can do this. All kinds of yeses and one no. And the one no was don't eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. And we know that Adam sinned. He, uh, he went with his wife and they ate from that uh, tree. That action coupled with, which sometimes we forget, coupled with the attitude that goes behind the action, uh, brought sin into the world. Um, and that sin uh, broke the relationship with God, and because of this idea of, of community or biblical solidarity, that Adam's sin brought sin not just to him and Eve, but it, it infected all of humanity that would flow from them. And, uh, and, and so we all have this natural propensity to sin. And, uh, and sometimes when you think about this idea of biblical solidarity, it, it just doesn't sound fair. It's kind of like when you got four kids in your family and one kid does something wrong and uh, then you all get punished. It's like, hey, wait a minute, I, did, I didn't do that. How come I'm getting punished for this? Well, it, it sounds like bad news, but really when you think about how this one act of sin brought condemnation and death into our world, and we talk about being in Jesus or being in Christ, we, we, it's good news because, because one man's act of righteousness makes it possible for us to be made right with God. And that's where we were at last week of Brian explaining what it means to be in Adam and what it means to be in Christ. And that we, we switch tribes when we put our faith in Christ. And here, sin rules. And, and then Brian introduced this whole idea. Of, it comes from the end of Romans chapter 5 where Paul says, now we're under grace. And he kind of makes up a word. Uh, it, it's called superabounding grace. It's like Brian called it infinity grace. Like if you were to attach a number to the amount of times that you have sinned, just you know, grab a number out there, um, and, uh, and, and then you put it over here, and then when you're in Christ, there's infinity grace. So it doesn't matter what your number is. Grace abounds, and there's grace there to forgive you of your sins. And so that's this whole idea. One man's act of sin brought death and condemnation in the world. One man's act of righteousness makes possible for all of us to be made right standing. It's, it's available to all of us. To, as we put our faith in Christ. Now, what happens is Paul creates these two scenarios, and as we're getting to Romans 6 today, he's imagining people hearing about superabounding grace, infinity grace, and he's imagining some, uh, some objections, some disagreements. People are kind of uneasy with this, this concept of, of infinity grace. And so he's imagining the questions that are going to come his way. And so what he's doing, he's doing these, these preemptive answering the questions. He's, he's going to deal with them. And so what, that's what we're going to find in Romans chapter 6. So if you've got your Bible, turn there. 
uh, to Romans 6. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you will find uh, this passage in the Pew Bible in front of you on page 1783. Um, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And if you would stand as I read and follow along, I'd really appreciate that. Uh, just a way to, just to remind yourself what a treasure the Word of God is. And, uh, and let's hear these words from Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. Uh, Many years ago, uh, after a, a day at work, um, uh, Trina and I were living in Hood River and I was working for a manufacturing company we d- we drove, I drove home with a buddy of mine named Mark and uh, Mark and I were engaged in a spiritual conversation we were parked in the driveway talking and, um, and I, was, I was just sharing with him the, the peace, the rest in my soul of knowing that I've gone from being here in Adam to being in Christ and I didn't use those words I was just talking about the, the joy of knowing that I'm forgiven and and I've got peace with God. And Mark, he's, he wasn't a Christ follower. And as far as I know, he's still not a Christ follower. But he's very interested in spiritual matters. He was studying, studying Buddhism at the time. And he said to me, he said, Steve, Christianity is very dangerous. Christianity is very dangerous. You see, because Christians, 
uh, they say they believe in Jesus and they go around and just do stuff and 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 uh, and then you know they say sin against God and then they just pray at night and ask God to forgive them. See, at least in Buddhism, there's karma or consequence. You do good, good comes back to you. Do bad, bad comes to you. Christianity is a very dangerous thing. Now, think about what he said, and imagine you having to reply to him. What would you say? What would you say to him and still keep intact this gospel of grace that cannot be achieved by good works? How do we reply to that? Well, that's Romans 6. That's exactly what Romans 6 is about. Because Paul, he's going to address some, some objections to this whole idea of superabounding grace. What Mark was saying is that, you know, I see Christians and, and they say they believe in Jesus and they aren't any different from the rest of us. They just go out and do whatever they do and they, and they put bumper stickers on the car and say, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. And if you got that bumper sticker, I'm not picking on you. It's just, it's just, it's just with this concept of, well, I just, I'll just ask God to forgive me and, and, and that'll be okay. But we're, we're supposed to be different, right? I mean, God says, be holy, for I am holy. Um, that, that's, that's what he says. And um, <laughs> Trina and I were having dinner with a couple years ago. Um, again, another town. And uh, we went to this restaurant, and um, we're in the restaurant, and uh, there was this couple and ordering food, and food isn't coming as quickly as alike, and the drinks aren't coming as quickly as alike. And, um, and, but the wife... Uh, of this couple, um, she's, uh, she's, pretty, uh, she's pretty agitated that things aren't happening quickly. And by the way, if you're a waiter or a waitress, man, you've you got, got a tough job. Um, uh, you, you deal with the public, and uh, it's, that's, that's, that's a tough business. And, and in this case, th- this lady was, uh, was a believer, and she was getting pretty agitated and um, complaining, com- making noises loud enough that other people around us are hearing it, uh, you've been in one of those situations. You're like, oh, you start feeling a little uncomfortable, and you're you're trying to just kind of give hints, like, ah, let's it'll be okay. And uh, but she is not getting quieter; she's getting louder. Um, and then the food comes, and the the waitress is putting the plates of food in front of us from all what we ordered, and she puts the plate in front of this woman, and this woman responds kind of like a four year old responds when they put got a plate of food put in front of them, uh, and they don't like what they see. So the plate goes down. And she looks at it, and she looks up at the waitress and sort of snarls and says, there's peppers on it. And um, there's like this silence, and she gets, she gets all worked up that her food isn't how she's ordered it. And the, the waitress, her, her face is red, and uh, she's troubled now, and there's this huge scene. People are hearing about this, and I'm like, get me out of here. And, um, and the waitress takes the plate away and goes back towards the kitchen and um, she's going to have to redo the meal. The woman then turns, after making the waitress go to the kitchen, turns back to us. We all have our food. And she says, well, let's pray for our food. Um, you got your food. Let's pray for our food. And I'm thinking, no, let's pray for you. <laughs> uh, and I remember saying, I'm, I, don't, I do not want to pray for our food because all these people just saw this happen, and then they're going to watch us bow our heads and pray for our food? I don't want to be associated with that because I'm a Christ follower. And Christ followers are different. We're, we're supposed to be different. We're, we're not supposed to be unkind and rude and, and hurt people. 
That's not who we are. That's not how we do things around here. And again, God says, be holy as I am holy. And that word holy sometimes is a word that, that we misunderstand. It literally means to be different, to be distinct, to be separate. That's who God is different. He is distinctly different. He is separate from us. Just give you a picture of this. Take the word holy and take the word day, put them together, and you get holy day or holiday. Holiday Holiday is a day on our calendar. A holiday is a day that's unlike any other day. It's distinct. It's different. It's separate from other days on the calendar. July 4th is a day like no other. There's parades. There's people waving flags. There's barbecues. We blow things up. We, we get all patriotic, right? We... It's a day unlike any other day on the calendar because it's a holy day. It's a holiday. It's different. Your wife or maybe your mom is making cookies for your sister uh, to, to take these, uh, these cookies to school, to elementary school. Uh, mom makes four batches of cookies. And uh, the last batch comes out of the oven and it's a little bit overcooked. She gets all the cookies together, and she's going to send cookies to school. But she does. She separates the overcooked ones over here and takes the the perfectly cooked ones and sends them to school. And these are the ones you're going to eat, right? (laughs) We, We separate them. We separate them because these cookies are different than these cookies. They've been separated because they're different. That's what holiness is. When God says, be holy as I am holy, he's saying, I'm different, I'm separated from you, I'm distinct, I am holy. That's who we're supposed to be. Which is why Paul's imagining people getting a little nervous about this whole idea of superabounding grace. What he's going to do in Romans chapter 6 is he is going to address People that he's imagining that are going to struggle with this whole idea that there's infinity grace. It doesn't matter how much your sin, you've been forgiven. But what he's going to do is he's going to remind us that there is a road, there is a discipleship has a destination. Discipleship has a destination, and it's not just heaven, it's becoming like Christ. We are to become like Christ. Discipleship has a destination. Picture in your mind a road, a lot of lanes going in one direction. It's one way, all going that way. There's sides in the road, no guardrails, but there's you know, plains and mountains on this side. There's, there's grass and there's, there's rivers on this side. And, and you can go off-road and get lost, or you can stay on this road and get to your destination. And what Paul is going to say in Romans chapter 6 is discipleship has a destination. And there is some off-road thinking that we need to address so that we can stay on this road and get to the destination that God has for us, and that is to be, uh, not we're, we're made in the image of God, but to image his son Christ. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are to be Christ-like. Discipleship has this destination. Paul is going to address these two patterns, his off-road thinking, and then he's going to tell us how to stay on the road. And so right away, you see that in chapter 6, verse 1. Paul, after he's talked about superabounding grace, that we have right standing and grace rules, he says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? 
Of course not. Don't even let that thought into your head. He says, we've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How can we continue to live in it? That's his short answer. He's going to amplify it in the, in the following verses. But here's what Paul is saying. There is this off-road thinking over here that says, grace abounds. It doesn't matter how I live. Now, none of us would go through life as Christ followers and say, grace abounds. It doesn't matter how I live. Now, we wouldn't say that out loud, but sometimes we live that way. Ah, yeah, I messed up. I didn't hurt anybody. God will forgive me, right? Now, you're, you know, you're taking uh, your stuff at the end of the year, and you're taking clothes you don't want anymore, and you're going to donate, donate them to Goodwill, put them in a bag, take them down to Goodwill, and they take it in there, and they give you a little card, which you're supposed to write the value of the clothes on that card for your taxes. And uh, so you get the card, and you look at it, and you, know, you get you seven or eight pair of jeans, a couple of T-shirts, some shoes, yeah, it's worth maybe, you know, $500. <laughs> when it's worth like $27. Oh, it's not a big deal, is it? I mean, I, you know, if I get audited, yeah, it's probably not a good thing. But, you know, God will forgive me, right? He'll forgive me. Or maybe you got a short fuse. People cross you off. People do things you don't like, and you just sort of vomit anger on them. You hurt them. A couple of days later, you start feeling bad about that. Ah, oh, God, forgive me. Maybe you don't even go back and ask for forgiveness from the person that you just, you know, devalued and demeaned. And, and, and then it happens again the next week and you, 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 you start letting the anger loose again and hurting people. We would never say grace abounds. It doesn't matter how you live. But oftentimes that's how we live our lives. It's off-road thinking. And what Paul is going to do in these next verses is he's going to amplify this whole idea of why we've died to sin. How can we continue to live it anymore? Hey, this is off-road thinking. We, we can't go that way. And so he gives this, it's, it's pretty heady stuff, but here's what Paul is doing. Let me just kind of just help us understand the Reader's Digest version of this. What he's saying is that you have been united with Christ. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised to new life, to, uh, raised, uh, rose again, he was resurrected. You were united with Christ, you died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and you were raised to new life in Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's saying you died to Christ. When someone dies, they make a decisive departure from the physical world. It's a a decisive departure. It's definite. If you've lost a loved one, you know how painful that is. It is decisive, they are gone. They've left the physical world. I've done uh, many graveside services, and when you're standing at the graveside and the burial is happening, the casket goes into the ground. You've been mourning, you've been experiencing the waves of sorrow and this loss when someone you love dies. It's final. And when, it goes in, when that casket goes into the, into the ground, there are these fresh waves of grief and sorrow that just wash over you because the finality of this loss is hitting you. I mean, it's real and it's painful. You died with Christ. You made a decisive break from this world of being in Adam. You were buried with Christ. It's a done deal. And now you are raised with Christ. 
to something. You were raised with Christ to a new life. Sin, where sin ruled that world, you died to that world. Now you came alive to this world, which is grace rules. What Paul is doing here, he's trying to get us to understand, to think correctly. We need to have our minds renewed on this, understand what is happening with us. Otherwise, we won't understand what's happening in the living room with with Christ. See, he, right in verse, uh, I believe it's in verse three, he says, have you forgotten? In verse six, he says, we know. In verse 11, he says, consider yourselves. In verse 16, he says, don't you realize? What he's trying to say is, Look, you need to think this through. Don't forget. We know. Consider. Don't you realize? Think. You died to this world. You were buried. It was final. You're raised in a new life. Why would you go back? And he says, we were, our old selves were crucified. Sin is losing its power. I love that he says that. And by the way, next week we'll get into this because Paul's going to share some of his personal struggle of letting go of the old life. It's not like flipping a switch and all of a sudden, oh, I don't have that problem anymore. But what he's saying is that you need to understand what's happened positionally. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Read Ephesians chapter 1. Every spiritual blessing is yours. But what God is doing on this journey is that he's helping you to say no to this old life because you, you died to that and now you're alive to a new life. You're dead to that. Crucifixion is a long and agonizing death. So when Paul says that our old self was crucified, we need to understand that saying no to the old us is a long, agonizing process. It, it's, it takes a long time. History teaches us it, that some, uh, some victims of crucifixion were, were alive for two or three days before they, before they were killed, which is why Pilate was surprised when Jesus died on one day. Crucifixion is a long, agonizing process. It takes, it takes a journey of being different and distinct, separate to Christ. It, it, it's a process. But you need to know right from the very beginning, it's a done deal. You died to that old life. So it's off-road thinking to go this way and say, ah, it doesn't matter how I live, grace abounds. I can sin, I ask God to forgive me. No, 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 that's off-road thinking. That won't get you to your destination of looking like Jesus. That's not what Jesus looked like. So Paul answers that real quick. No, you're, you're dead to that. And then he goes to the other side of the, of the road in verse 15. Now, just before verse 15, he says, sin is no longer your master. You no longer live under the requirements of the law. That's going to pe- make some people nervous who are reading this letter in the church of Rome. Wait a minute. We don't have to keep the requirements of the law? Paul, you're making me nervous here. What are you saying? And what Paul is saying is we don't need the law. And the people reading the letter might go, but, but, but what's going to control our behavior? What's going to keep us on the road? We need guardrails over here. We need to make rules so that, that we don't go off-road. And Paul says, no, 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 that, that's off-road thinking. We don't need rules. Yet the people in, in, who might hear this will go, no, no, we need rules. Otherwise, we're going to have Christians gone wild. We're going to have people out there just going crazy, doing all this stuff. And it's like, well, that's, 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 not, that's not good, Paul. That makes me feel a little bit uneasy. And what Paul's going to say, no, 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 you don't understand. He, rules, rules, that doesn't keep you on the road. 
doesn't change your heart. See, that, this other off-road thinking is legalism. You know, I grew up in a home that was very free from legalism. But I grew up in, uh, in a time when, you know, there was a lot of legalism. I mean, we, we knew that you, you, you didn't dance. You dance, you know what happens next. You get embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> at least for me. We, you don't dance. I mean, that, that's not good. You know, you don't drink. <laughs> you don't chew. You don't date girls that do. You don't, you know... <laughs> You can go to church and you can have pictures on the wall and, and as long as they're still, you're good. But the pictures start moving, the movies are bad. We can't, have, we can't, go, to, we can't go to movies. We keep those pictures still because when movies, when pictures start moving, that, you know, that's, that's bad news. I, I, I remember, uh, my, my dad's in the service, so, um, sorry dad. Here, here, I remember, I had one set of grandparents who, uh, who you couldn't play cards. Because, um, you know, yeah, that's what they use in Vegas. And you start using cards, I don't know, you're going to be a dancer or something. I, I'm not sure what happened. You're going to gamble or... We don't use cards. We would play cards in our home. But when Grandma or Grandpa showed up, we quickly cleared the table of the cards. Hide those cards. Because Grandma and Grandpa have that, they've got that guardrail built. That's, that's bad. That leads, uh, that, that leads to bad places. And, you know, they're wonderful people. It's just sometimes we, we are mistakenly thinking that if we can construct this legalistic guardrail over here, that will keep us on the road and get us to our destination. It will not get you to your destination. It won't happen. Listen to Paul as he writes in Colossians chapter 2. Let me read these verses for you. He's talking about the very same subject, about dying with Christ. And he's going to talk about rules. He's going to talk about legalism. Listen to what he says. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. Now listen to this last sentence. But the rules provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. See Paul saying, hey, you can make rules, but that's not going to change your heart. Only the Spirit of Christ changes your heart. He transforms your heart. Rules won't transform you. You're deceiving yourself. That's off-road thinking. We need the law so that we don't have Christians going crazy. No, 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 no. That, that won't keep you on the... Discipleship has a destination. The destination is to look like Jesus. And that's off-road thinking, thinking I need rules. It's off-road thinking over here that says, grace abounds, I can live however I want. Both that... Those kind of thinking, that kind of thinking will not get you to the discipleship destination that Christ has for you. So how do we get there? Well, tucked in the middle of Romans chapter 6 and verse 12 and 13, some very practical advice. And there are three really beautiful word pictures that the scripture gives us on how to stay on the road without constructing guardrails and without going crazy off-road over here. Here's how you stay on the road. 
and move towards this destination of becoming like Jesus. Paul says uh, in 6 verse 12, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil, of evil to serve sin. Here's what Paul is saying. Do not let sin control the way you live. That word control is most often translated king. Don't let sin be king. Sin used to be king when you were in this tribe. You had no power to get out from underneath it. Sin is a tyrant. Sin uh, is destructive. It, it, it destroys. That king is gone. You died to that world. You, you died to sin. You now have a new king. So don't let that king tell you how to live your life in this new life. You've got a new life. And we don't go off-road over here with rules and legalism because we have a new identity. We used to be slaves to sin, but now we're slaves to righteousness. So we entered into this new tribe. We're in this new kingdom. Why would we submit? Why would we let that king tell us what to do? Don't let that king sin Control your lives. That's what Paul's saying. Then he's going to go a little bit further. He's going to say, do not give in to sinful desires. That word give in, it literally, it literally means a word picture. It literally means it's when someone knocks at the door, don't answer it. See, so here's what Paul's saying. Don't give in to that king. Don't listen to that king. And when he comes knocking on your door, don't answer the door. No, it's... You know, it's a little bit more difficult to not answer the door, and that's part of the process. We'll get into that next week. But it's real basic here. You left that kingdom. He's going to knock on your door and tell you what to do. Don't answer it. Don't answer the door. Um, you, ever, you ever been in a large group meeting like this one, and someone's phone rings, and um, it could be silent or maybe mistakenly left it on, and cell phones are great in church. I use it for my Bible, and... Um, that in church as well, but every once in a while, someone has their, and when they get a phone call, there, there are people who feel like, I have to take every call. And in a large group at work, or maybe in a church gathering like this, or some big event, the call comes in, and they have to answer it, and they answer it, and like, hey, I'm in a meeting. And we're all like, yeah, we know you're in a meeting. You know, we, we hear you. And, and they feel compelled to answer the call. Here's the deal. You don't have to answer the call when the king calls. The old king Silence, mute. Send in a voicemail, delete it. You don't have to take that call. True confessions, confessions. Some, someone will come to my door and knock on my door. I'll peek out the window to see who it is because if it's a salesman, I'm not answering the door. They're toting a vacuum. I've already got a vacuum. I don't need another one, okay? I don't care how awesome it is. I, ha- I have one, it sucks up dirt. I'm good. Now, if it's a little girl holding cookies, whole different story, right? I'm going to the door. I'm all about that. When sin knocks on the door, don't open the door. That's what Paul's saying. It's really simple. That king, you're not in that kingdom anymore. And when that king starts knocking on your door, don't answer. Ignore it. Send a voicemail. Delete. And then finally he says, offer your, don't offer your bodies as instruments of, of, of evil that leads to sin. Offer your bodies as an instrument of righteousness. 
It's another great picture. That word instrument is the, literally the word weapon. Don't offer your body as a weapon for evil. Don't let your, don't let your, your who you are be used for evil. For, for, uh, as a weapon to hurt people or to, to inflict pain uh, on yourself or others. Don't offer your body as a weapon for evil. Instead, offer your body as a weapon for righteousness. Now, I like that. That means we, we can get some business done by living out the righteous life. Things happen when we do good deeds, when we choose right over wrong, when we don't answer the door. You're a weapon for righteous living. And when you start living that out, when you ignore that old king, you stop answering the door and you start offering your body as a weapon for righteousness, guess what? You don't need guardrails of legalism because you have a new identity. You're a slave of righteousness. You don't go off road over here thinking grace abounds, it doesn't matter how I live. Because it does matter how you live. Because your destination, your discipleship destination is to become like Christ. I've said this before. Jesus did not go to the cross just to get you from the courtroom to the living room and leave you as you were. He gets you to the living room so he can get his hands on you and shape you into what he looks like. And that's the journey of discipleship. Now, go back with me to my conversation with Mark years ago in the driveway. Christianity is very dangerous. He's right. He's very right. Because if you go off-road over here saying, grace abounds, doesn't matter how I live, you'll hurt yourself, you'll hurt all, all kinds of people, and you won't image Christ the way God intended you to. And if you go off over here with legalism, you will hurt yourself, you won't be transformed, and you will hurt others. Christianity is dangerous. But what happens when someone leaves the old kingdom, by faith enters the new kingdom, and they understand the discipleship destination is to be like Christ, and the old them that was just really ugly is being transformed by the Spirit, and they're on the road, and they're headed to their destination. What you have now is something, someone that's beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's the journey we are on.